Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 19th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and I am so happy to be joined on this episode by Olivia Wilde, an actress who I think is just terrific and who's also pretty terrific as a person. Her evolution, personally and professionally, has been fascinating to watch, and it has reached a milestone, in a sense, with her latest movie, Meadowland, which she both stars in and produced. The film, which marks the directorial debut of Reed Morano, a terrific cinematographer, tells the story of a mother grieving over the disappearance of her young child. It premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in April, was released by Cinedime, and is now available on VOD, and I highly encourage you to check it out because both Murano and Wilde are going to be forces to be reckoned with in this industry for a long time to come. But before we get to the conversation with Olivia, let's just recap what's happened in the world of awards since our last episode. The big news was that the Broadcast Film Critics Association and Broadcast Television Journalists Association, both of which I belong to, announced the nominations for the first ever joint Film and TV Critics' Choice Awards, which will take place in January. And somewhat surprisingly, the leader by far in terms of nominations on the film side was Mad Max Fury Road, a movie that came out in May, is certainly not your typical awards type of movie, and yet proved to be the heavy favorite of the critics with 13 nominations for more than any other film. And speaking of unconventional awards-type movies, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, probably the most anticipated movie of the year for most people, and one that is sure to shatter box office records when it opens nationwide on Friday, had its world premiere on Monday night in Hollywood and couldn't have gone over much better. People were just enamored with J.J. Abrams' take on the franchise, and almost immediately after it let out, there began to be rumblings from Academy members that this might be the first of the Star Wars movies since the original 1977 installment to land above-the-line nominations, meaning not only for visual effects and score and things like that, but also perhaps for Best Picture and or Best Director. But let's get back to Olivia Wilde, who is somebody most of us first discovered on the small screen, whether in the OC or on House, and who then transitioned to the big screen in an indie, Alpha Dog, that helped raise the profile of her and a lot of other young actors, and who then became a blockbuster movie star. She was the female lead in Tron Legacy, Cowboys and Aliens, and others, but decided, interestingly enough, to focus mostly on indie films, and she has done Great work in several of them, going back to Butter, then Drinking Buddies, certainly Her, which was nominated for Best Picture, and now, most recently, Meadowland. She'll soon be heading back to the small screen on HBO's highly anticipated Martin Scorsese project Vinyl, which is sure to raise her profile even further, 
But for now, I think she is still one of the most underrated and interesting actresses out there. It's easy to get caught up in talk of her beauty and style and all the other things that people focus on, but in my opinion, she is a really terrific actress and a really smart person with a strong feminist bent that I think could really shake things up in this industry, and I think that has already begun in the form of Meadowland. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Olivia Wilde. Thank you for doing this, first of all. So happy to be here. This movie, it seems like, I think all of them, I'm sure, mean a lot to you, but this one particularly, and yes. most of this conversation is going to be about that. But I want to just go back, as we do in every episode of this, and kind of retrace how we got here. And so, I guess, first of all, it's kind of amazing that you became a Hollywood actress, an actress in the first place, considering your family background mm-hmm. and your geographic background mm-hmm. and all this is maybe you can kind of explain how you isn't that the funny thing about this <laughs> business though you never know where people have come from their families right. are are you know come from all sorts of backgrounds and it's it's always so fascinating to me you talk to people whose parents are you know uh, construction workers or teachers or flight attendants or journalists or you know and it it it's one of those businesses that really uh does offer opportunity to anyone with the skill, the willpower, and the luck. Right. And I just think that's such a cool thing about about our business. But um, right, who's from LA? Nobody's from LA. Right, nobody's from LA. <laughs> and like the people who are actually like from Hollywood families are few right. and far between. There aren't that many people who are, you know, following that legacy. But I, yeah, my parents are journalists. My grandparents were journalists. My aunts and uncles are journalists. Um, and I think in many ways. Uh, they're all storytellers and I was just finding my own way of becoming a storyteller. But I knew from a really young age that this is what I wanted to do and they were always very supportive. So it, it for me, felt like um, a very logical trajectory even though I knew nothing about the way this business worked. I had no exposure to Hollywood, to... California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> my mom's from San Francisco, but Southern California was a complete mystery to me. I, when I moved there, I would take pictures of palm trees <laughs> at every opportunity. And any business that had the word surf in the name of the business for me was just like so titillating. I was like, <laughs> this is incredible. This is a car wash called like surf wash. This is the paradise land. And this is because you spent a lot of your time in Ireland? Yeah, my dad's Irish. Okay. And uh, we grew up, I was born in New York City, moved to D.C. when I was four, and grew up in Georgetown, and spent um, any time we kind of weren't in school in Ireland. And I really connected to my roots there, and actually went to acting school in Dublin at the Gaiety, which is a fantastic place. But I, my parents did a really good job of allowing us to feel connected to our... Uh, you know, our roots in both countries. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm a parent, I think about how that's so important to make your kids feel that, you know, they have family uh, and they they have family in, in, in different places mm-hmm. and they have to value that and it's what makes you different and interesting, you know? Oddly, it was somebody in Ireland who kind of motivated you to go to L.A., right? Because you were off to college. Yeah, that was I was going to go to Bard College in upstate New York. Right. So how did that um, get uh, put off? Well, it was actually, I had, yeah, I had, I went to the Gaiety School of Acting mm-hmm. in Dublin and I had a really great teacher there named Patrick Sutton, who is still the head of that school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was 
very supportive. The big alumni from that school had been Colin Farrell. And it was like really exciting because Colin Farrell had just broken through. I can't remember what his first film was, but it was like, Colin's in a movie. (laughs) Uh, So that was nice inspiration. And I thought, you know, I really want to do that. I want to head out there. I want to try to make films. And uh, both Patrick and a teacher I had at Andover, actually, a teacher named Kevin Heelan, who's an incredible theater teacher and playwright, he also advised me, go to LA first, see that world, and make sure that's what you want before you really make it your your major and your profession. Yeah. So yeah, I, I went to LA for a year off just to kind of take a peek. And kind of never left. Yeah, I worked in casting. Right. And I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll kind of, I'll do some auditions just to sort of get some experience, um, cut my teeth a little bit, but I, I didn't think this is where it would all, that is where it would all begin. I thought, you know, I better learn about the audition process. And then I just wanted to be on a set to learn about how cameras worked. You know, I wanted to know how the film was loaded, which now I realize is this antiquated (laughs) system. You know, you just, you think about how it's evolved so quickly that actors now, young actors probably have no idea where this terminology comes from. Like, check the gate? Right. What gate? Right. Like, there's no stopping to reload? (laughs) I think about this all the time. It's funny. It is. It it is, uh, it's a rapidly evolving industry and technology. I am surprised that having been in casting and seen up close how brutal and often unfair and, sure. and horrible it can be that you were not deterred from going into it yourself. Well, I had a really great boss. My boss was this uh, casting director named Mally Finn, who's mm-hmm. no longer with us, but she was one of the best. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because I was in her office that I wasn't completely you know, horrified mm-hmm. by the belly of the beast because <laughs> she approached the casting pro- process with such high standards and integrity. And uh, so I got to see which actors were really kind of stick, you know, rising above the herd. And that was very inspiring. I realized what you needed in order to succeed in such a competitive business was to really harness your individuality and, and invest in you know, your uniqueness and to really work hard, yeah. to study hard and, and to be very prepared and to make choices. Like these were all lessons I learned in that office, even though I'd been training in theater since mm-hmm. I was a kid. So I'm a big believer in working as an intern or a low-level assistant yeah. in the industry for whatever position, no matter what position you want eventually, just get some insight, valuable insight into how this business works and why some people are able to um, succeed and, yeah. and others fade back into obscurity because it can easily uh, kind of trap you and uh, rather than allow you to harness your individuality, kind of encourage this kind of homogenized um, identity. I, I think that happens to a lot yeah. of people. But because of my boss and that office, I learned that the goal was to just work extremely hard and to just focus on why I, you know, what was different about me, I guess. And you were 18? I was 18. That's I worked there first. I did a summer internship there when I was 16, oh. just for a couple of weeks because wow. I I had heard right. about, about that. And then I came back to work there when I was 18. Wow. So correct me if any of this is wrong, but basically the trajectory was you had a success with your first pilot you yeah so weird I didn't even know the pilot season (laughs) was so foreign to me and 
then the idea of a pilot getting picked up, I didn't realize how rare that was. I know the system has now changed a yeah. lot since, you know, that was like 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. I, at the time, had no idea that it was rare for your pilot to get cast in a pilot, for the pilot to get picked up, and then for it to actually go to series. <laughs> I know, it's now, it's like crazy to yeah. think about, right? Yeah, so for better or worse, my yeah. first one did. Yeah. And, and we got canceled after like six, I think, six or eight. But it wasn't that devastating because you didn't have any, or, or sure, was it? exactly. You know, it, it wasn't devastating, yeah. uh, but it certainly was a wake-up call. I, you know, I always say, like, I believe in early failure. Mm -hmm. I think it's good for everyone. Yeah. Um, once we were canceled, the phone stopped ringing immediately. I had done this massive PR push. I had been part of this machine that was promoting this show. It was a Jerry mm -hmm. Bruckheimer show. Mm -hmm. It was on Fox. You know, we were doing those weird Fox promos where you're standing in front of like a ball of fire spinning, yeah. the camera spinning around you. <laughs> I don't know if they still do that. The whole that. machine, yeah. But I, I was in the middle of it. You know, it was yeah. like a, a star is born mm -hmm. montage. Mm -hmm. You know, my hair got blonder. My, everything about me seemed to suddenly, um, to transform to fit in. You know, I was in LA, I, I was such an outsider. I looked, I didn't look like I belonged in LA. You know, I, <laughs> I would walk around a lot of like brown corduroy. <laughs> um, and then suddenly I was put into the machine. So, so they did that to you. You didn't do it because you felt pressured to. I'd say it was a combination. Yeah. You know, no one forced me. Yeah. No one dragged me by the, by the hair. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, there were certainly like, you know, we want your hair. We, they did actually, you know, take me to a salon and say, like, it needs to be this shade of blonde. Wow. And uh, you're going to do um, this press and you should wear these types of clothes. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of what we're going for and the vibe of what we're selling. And, you know, I've always been a, a team player and, uh, you know, a good soldier. Yeah. <laughs> and if someone asks me to be a part of the team and help fight for that team, I'll do it. Right. And I think a lot of young actors confuse loyalty to those giving you the opportunity with a complete loss of your yeah. sense of self. Yeah. So while I really value that opportunity, that experience, I got to hang out with Ron Silver, yeah. you know, learn about the right. actor's studio. Right. And that was really cool. Uh, I, but, but I, I did find myself suddenly in this kind of foreign identity. Um, and then it was canceled and all of that suddenly quieted wow. down. And that was, an opportunity to realize what's real, what's not real in this business. So from the point where that first show, Skin mm -hmm. was called, mm -hmm. from the point it was canceled, I had an idea of where my footing was mm -hmm. in this business, what what I could trust and mm -hmm. what was fake. And I think that was a very important part of the whole, you know, development. So when the when the OC came along, which wouldn't have been how long after that? That was a couple years after. So the OC, maybe not a couple years, maybe a year or so. Because that was more or less like overlapping with Alpha Dog, right? I mean, not. Yeah, I shot Alpha Dog on the weekends when I was on the OC. Oh my God! So, in a way, was that a identity crisis again? Because sure, you know, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Josh Schwartz, who created the OC, mm -hmm. he asked if I would come on board and do like three episodes, and I said, "Well, what's it going to be?" He said, "Your character is going to run a music venue, and you're going to get to meet." a lot of really cool bands in real life. And I was like, yeah, 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 it's great. <laughs> I had no idea it was a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. I was so out of the loop. I didn't realize the machine that was that show. Mm -hmm. I ended up staying for one season. Uh, and then I did, I had a great time, such lovely people. But you know, I kind of sensed it wasn't, it wasn't where I wanted to be mm -hmm. f any longer. And I was doing Alpha Dog on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And once I was on set, of Alpha Dog with these incredible actors yeah. and, you know, 
an amazing director in Nick Cassavetes. I really, really love Nick. Yeah. Uh, he was here last year with his mother. Oh, that's Jenna right. Owens, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Jenna. Yeah. Well, once I was, you know, I remember being on set doing a particularly intense scene with Ben Foster. And I felt that high that actors get when you reach a really kind of truthful place in a scene. It's like this, this hum. You feel, you feel that this, I don't know how to describe it. It is just a high, I mm -hmm. think. And that's what we're all chasing. And that's what the good projects allow you to have. But I knew the second I felt it that I had to, you know, leave the OC and chase that feeling. So it didn't happen immediately, but I, I, it was another step along the way of figuring out what was actually, what, what kind of career was actually right. true to myself. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess then again, it's, it's interesting how it's kind of TV and film have jumped back and forth here because yeah. with house, when that came along, that sort of interrupted that indie path that you were headed on again. Yeah. Though, right? Well, you know, it's funny. There was a few steps before I did, um, some indies, you know, some that I, I still really love. Like I did this one with Patrick Fugit called Bickford, Schme Bickford Schmeckler's Cool Ideas. <laughs> this film is so wacky. Right. Directed by a guy named Scott Liu. Okay, I'm going to check. I got to write this down. It's awesome. You know, yeah. Matt Lillard's in it. Oh, yeah. um, John Cho. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. And our director, Scott, was suffering from ALS while he was shooting the film and would direct most of it from his wheelchair. Wow. And it was so moving to be able to... Uh, you know, bring his dream into reality. But it was so funny because it was kind of a physical comedy. And there were times when Scott, at the point, you know, he was, he was, his sickness was kind of rapidly evolving mm -hmm. and he, uh, he would laugh. What an amazing guy. He would laugh because he'd want to show me what to do with my body. You know, I want you to flail like this. And he'd be like, no, oh, can't move my arms anymore. <laughs> if I could, I would show you what to do. And what, I mean, it was this incredibly moving experience. Yeah. Um, it's what a darkly funny and yeah, awesome guy. Yeah. So that kind of experience I had, uh, I did um, a, a short, another short-lived series for NBC called The Black Donnellys. Oh, yeah. That Paul Haggis directed. Yeah. And amazing cast. And that's, you know, like people like Kevin Corrigan and Max Casella mm -hmm. were on that show. Jonathan Tucker, you know, and uh, Keith Nobbs, who's real New York actors. Yeah. And w that allowed me to work back in New York. And I thought, oh my God, I'm home, yeah. I'm home. And when that got canceled, I said, I'm not going back to LA. And I did a play off Broadway called Beauty on the Vine, mm -hmm. written by a guy named Zach Berkman. And it was really fun and it was a, a political thriller and I got to play three different characters. And again, I felt this, this satisfied feeling. Same, yeah. But off Broadway is a good place not to make money. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking, that is true. You know, yeah. 300 bucks a week, wow. doing eight or nine shows a week. Um, exhausted and uh, at one point my voice completely went up I, I could scream and not a peep would come out oh. and the stress was really overwhelming and yes. at that point my agent said hey they're adding some characters to House and I thought oh House is a great show mm -hmm. they write really well for women on that mm -hmm. show and he said yeah me Hugh Laurie and I was like oh my god Hugh Laurie you get to act with Hugh Laurie so I went to LA thinking I would do a couple episodes of House and then they asked me to stay. And how many years did that end up being? I stayed for four years. 
And during, during that time, though, do you feel that the big films that came along, the Trons, the Cowboy and the Cowboys and Aliens, that was because of the added exposure, obviously? Sure, yeah, House. yeah, I mean, yeah. You suddenly well, House was a gift. Yeah. It was, yeah, it put me on the radar of, for directors that probably never would have known who I was. And I, it, um, it was a massive hit. And I had been a part of all these things that, you know, well, the OC was a massive hit. That was the only other, like, successful yeah. thing I'd been a part of. <laughs> I wasn't accustomed to being a part of anything successful. Right. So <laughs> House was this unfamiliar territory. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved playing a character who was defined by her intelligence and wit. And it was such a fun run. And, uh, you know, I owe my career in, in many ways to those producers. So it was great because they also were very accommodating when I had to go and do... Tron and Cowboys and Aliens mm-hmm. and different things that came mm-hmm. in between because, you know, it meant that I would miss certain episodes or, right. um, you know, they just knew, they, they believed in me and they could have easily squashed those opportunities and they didn't. So now you were not only an indie actress in film, but you are now in the making of being a movie star. And I wondered for you what that was like because while those movies were huge and made a lot of money and you know probably were different than anything you had done before I also remember from previous conversations that we've had at different interview opportunities that you kind of bristled against the idea that of being part of this kind of the corporate burden of it I think was the way you phrased it and also the fact that I think some of them you you know the persona was this this very confident cold kind of woman that was not it's not who you are. No. So is it correct to say that while those were nice opportunities for exposure, they were not where you felt very at home? You know, I did. It's funny because I, I, I value them still. Like Tron, you know, getting to play, getting to create a character who was so different than what we were originally handed, uh, you know, that character ended up, I wanted to turn her into this kind of androgynous Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney didn't want her to be androgynous. <laughs> for but they really allowed me to, you know, take down the, the foam rubber boobs about four inches, <laughs> cut her hair. Um, you know, Joe Kaczynski, who directed Tron, was really collaborative. I sat in on all the rewrite meetings. I worked really hard to turn her into this kind of childlike character. So I don't see that one as cold. I see that one as, as a, I'm really proud of that character. And I loved working with Bridges. I mean, Jeff Bridges is one of the best. I've had the opportunity to work with so many of my heroes. And that's why I feel I've learned to not be too concerned with the result of any project because the process is, you know, where you, where you learn everything valuable. Um, But Jeff and I used to sit on set of Tron splitting an iPod, you know, with one earbud each, listening to Alan Watts lectures. And I was like, this, <laughs> this is, is the ultimate, <laughs> the dude. That is um, funny. So that movie, but yes, I see what you're saying completely. Like the, 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 being a part of the studio machine mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily allow for a lot of self-expression. And although they were collaborative up to a point in letting me create that character, that you know, there was a limit to that because right. it's fitting into a broad... Uh, you know, a, a greater studio plan. Um, but I, I think that was all part of the education I needed to get to this point, particularly as a producer, because yeah. I think now that I've been on both indie sets and large sets, 
you know, I've learned a tremendous amount about problem solving. Um, so I think it, it was all part of the plan. But I was lucky that, you know, I never cared that much when a movie didn't, like Cowboys and Aliens. Cowboys and Aliens was one of the most fun experiences of my life. I got to live in Santa Fe, work with the most hilarious and brilliant people. I thought John Favreau was one of the most insightful, um, actor-friendly directors I'd ever worked with. And, you know, just an amazing opportunity. So, uh, you know, riding a horse through the desert every day was a dream. And that film definitely did not do well. And yet I would do it again right, right. now. Um, yeah. And then, you know, from that point on, things kind of kind of shifted. Yeah, it was like a turning It was sort point, of a turning yeah. point. You know, for me, and I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but for me, Drinking Buddies right. was a major turning point for me personally. And that year also marked the year I did Rush and Her. Uh, unbelievable. But yes. even before that, I mean, Butter. I'm so happy that you've seen Butter. I, absolutely. And, and I still love Butter. But before even Butter, when, when you had to decide what direction you wanted to take things I kind of remember and maybe you can share this that I think you went and saw Carrie Fisher and you talked to Julie Christie and the fact that you have anything to do with them is interesting what you know they're very interesting characters so maybe you can share what you took from them well I've always been good at identifying mentors and asking a lot of questions and Mm -hmm. if I you know if there is a fascinating um, person within 20 feet they're going to be harassed by (laughs) me and I uh, yeah I mean Carrie Fisher, I was really, I loved Wishful Drinking, and I just loved that she found humor in in pain, mm-hmm. and, you know, I remember when I was a kid, every time I would, you know, get bullied at school or, or have a mean teacher, my mom would say, it's all material, it's all material, <laughs> and I thought that was a great attitude, and I think Carrie Fisher kind of continued to inspire me in that way. To see it all as just part of the, the funny, Cause who weird was, who world. was part of the machine more than she was. Exactly. Was right. Exactly. So. so seeing how she came out of that, right. being able to laugh at being, uh, you know, 19 years old in the biggest film of all time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in her book, she has a very funny part where she says that every time she looks in the mirror, she has to send Lucas a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> She's the best. That's great. But I... I Yes, I was so inspired by her general attitude uh, towards the machine. And then Julie Christie, yeah, I had had a chance to harass her at another point. And she said something to me about how she felt she, she kind of learned on the job, which is certainly how I feel. I mean, I had my theater training prior to my professional mm-hmm. life, but I feel that I, have, I spent the first 10 years of my career figuring it out. Right. And I'm still figuring it out. Right. It's not that that ended. But right. yeah, I was inspired by her kind of very kind of honest uh, assessment of her own right. career. And, and also, she's just incredibly smart and self-deprecating. And I was inspired by, you know, all, every actor I have had the chance to work with or meet has, has inspired me in some way. And I feel the thing I'm reminded of over and over again is that we're just artists. We're just playing. This is just, you know, this is just fun. And it should be that way. But so I felt... Uh, after House that I was ready for a kind of a, a, a shift. Um, and, you know, they were very kind to let me out of House early so that I could pursue that. And, yeah, then it kind of, it all, it all kind of uh, happened organically. I, but, I, yeah, I, I keep coming back to Drinking Buddies because 
it gave me a certain amount of confidence. Like I remember I, I finished drinking buddies and went, oh no, I finished her and went straight into drinking buddies. And Rush had been earlier that year. So you've already in one year had Ron Howard, Spike Jones, and now you're going to do Swanberg. Joe Swanberg. Yeah. Which probably was very different from the other. Couldn't have been more different from the other two. Couldn't have been more different. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, but I mean, all of them just, you know, raising my standards time and time again and right. making it making it all more interesting and making it harder to take something I didn't believe in because I just kept experiencing these these that actor high. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So going back, like I think a year or two before even that, those three, yeah, was was Butter, which is just um, not to. It's not a movie a lot of people got a chance to see. No. Didn't get a great wide release, no, but, but I love for it. you and just to, as I remember, it was sort of this complicated, uh, tattooed, pierced, like almost goth stripper that you were yeah. playing. Yeah, and I wore those tattoos all around Shreveport, Louisiana, when we weren't <laughs> filming, and they thought I was like this this new menace to society. <laughs> Well, with that though, was that sort of a statement like, all right, I'm 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 back on the indie track because that was a very indie uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. And from then, it's been primarily sure indie. Yeah, I think I think you know I was really excited. I had read that script a year before and felt so excited by it. And I think at that point, the role was someone else's, and I I was bummed. And then I got a call, you know, that, that the opportunity was there if I could arrive the next day. So I had no time to prepare, but I was so thrilled to have the chance to be back in that world. And I remember I shot it right before Cowboys and Aliens. So wow. it was this awesome um, kind of yin and yang yeah. to go from this tiny film and knowing that I was about to you know, be shot out of a cannon right. into this major operation. But the other thing that really inspired me about Butter was that it was, dire- uh, it was uh, produced by Jen Garner. And I thought, how cool that she's producing her own really? content, and she was such a smart and gracious producer, and it really had an effect on me. And I think that brought me around to you know where I am today, trying that for myself. And so you you've done that on Drinking Buddies, yeah. and you've done that now on Meadowland, yeah. right? So with Drinking Buddies, though, for people who have not yet seen it, I'm yes, sure it's on demand. See it. Go see it on see Netflix. It. Yeah, another very small movie, micro. I think they say micro budget is the word. Mini um, micro. Many micro. So like whatever half of micro budget. Right, and this is Joe Swanberg, who's sort of the one of the gods of mumblecore, and it is the one that I think if if anybody did not prior to that properly respect you as an actor I think that oh, that you. did it and so but the, because the unique um, process process yeah. so, so take, okay. yeah. the way Swanberg works is without a script um, 
he writes an outline that the actors never see. Mm -hmm. And it's a really inspiring and fun process. You have to completely surrender to it. And I had, you know, taken improv classes in my training. Mm -hmm. I've been a fan of professional improvisers. I have dabbled here and there. I, um, I'd never considered myself like a, an improviser. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how I would do. I didn't know how I would do without uh, a roadmap to follow. Once I have a script, I can improvise based on that script, but to have a blank canvas is the most terrifying thing in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and my fiance, Jason, Sudeikis is a very experienced yeah. improviser and had worked you know, for years in Second City in Chicago and then SNL and beyond. And he was the one who said, you got to work with Swanberg. That's going to be so much fun. Right. You should do that. Um, and we had improvised at UCB and, and a few places. And so his confidence in me actually really inspired me to go for it. And I arrived. Jake Johnson and I had about a week to prepare. And our characters uh, work in a brewery in mm -hmm. Chicago. Swanberg also lives in Chicago, shoots most of his films there, if not all. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Chicago is a big part of that film and a big part of the experience for me because I love the film scene there um, and the beer scene. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> we yeah. shot in this incredible yeah. brewery and, and our characters were supposed to know a hell of a lot about beer so I had a very quick education. <laughs> Luckily, I've been studying You've beer been in my off time for a few years um, and it was uh, totally thrilling and you know, I think one of the reasons the movie is so good and I, I'm really proud of it mm -hmm. so I feel like mm -hmm. I can say it's yeah. good. Um, is because we weren't focused on the result. It was all about the process of making it. And I think if we approached every film with that same attitude, we'd probably get a lot better results. And also, I guess, I mean, there's maybe less of the BS that comes with making a lot of movies when there's oh, yeah. no money. You know, money. <laughs> Pretty much, right? <laughs> there's no yeah. hair, you know, no hair and makeup. Yep. There's no trailers. Right. There's none of that. And I think... I think that allows for a team mentality that also fosters greater performances because you are pulling together to uh, to create something and it makes you feel that you're back in the theater. It makes you feel that everyone is focused on this result. And I, I, I honestly think that the bigger the production is, the bigger, the longer space there is between um, people and and that you lose that, that kind of team spirit. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's the same reason I think actors should produce at least one time in their careers. Because once you've produced, you have a different attitude about a day of work. Mm -hmm. Because you're aware of the Herculean effort that went into right. making Everybody it possible. Because it is a fucking miracle <laughs> that any movie right. happens. Right. Um, I remember I did a movie with Mark Duplass, who I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And he has such a professional attitude on set no matter how many hours you're mating which movie was uh, this? we did the Lazarus effect uh, yeah um, that was my my dip into the Blumhouse pool <laughs> um, but I was so inspired I, I did that movie because I wanted to work with Mark yeah and he has such a unique attitude on set and I said why, why are you this professional why are you so nice why do you stay so calm and he said because I've produced and I've directed indies and I know how hard it is and that's absolutely right and I think after uh, the experience of producing Meadowland from the ground up, because Drinky Buddies, I was an EP, but I did not raise the money for right. it or go through the pre-production challenges. So now after making Meadowland, I feel that I've been a better actor on set 
um, for exactly the reasons that Mark laid right. out. So where did you first come across the material for Meadowland and what appealed to you about it? It's obviously not uplifting material, but it's very powerful and it's something that most people that, uh, in, in a different form go through at one point or another, you know, severe grief, somebody, they lose somebody, sure, something happens. Yeah. How did you hear about it and what drew you to it? I received the script in the traditional way. Yeah. I got it from my agents and I, uh, I read it and I loved it. And I called them and I said, what is this Meadowland? What is that? I want that. It's incredible. And my agent, I will just never let him live this down. <laughs> Name him, please. Uh, James it? Farrell. He's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful agent right. at WME. He's right. an Irish fellow, a lovely right. guy. And a reader, a really wonderful, voracious reader right. and with great taste. So I knew when he sent it, it was going to be something good. And I called him. I said, James, this is amazing. And he's like, yeah, now it's um, it's." It's very competitive. <laughs> and I give him shit now because I'm like, that's the worst pep talk of right, all time. Right, right, right. But he was, he was preparing me, uh, and it was actually the right move because it allowed me to fight for the role and understand that I would have to fight mm-hmm. for it. And I went and met with Reed Morano, yeah. whom I had been a fan of for a long time as a DP. Mm-hmm. You know, she shot Frozen River, Kill Your Darlings, um, Skeleton yeah. Twins more recently, uh, Little Birds, and... I thought, wow, that girl is going to direct a film? It's going to be cool. Um, and we met, and I said, I love this script. I want to tell you why I love it. And it happened to be the same reasons she loved it. And we talked about how, though stories of loss and grief are intense and, and can deter people from taking on that challenge, we both found something truly life-affirming mm-hmm. in this story, and we were drawn to this character because we found her to be so brave and dangerous. And we talked a lot about the danger of grief, the, the independent journey of grief, uh, a process that's, that's so different for everyone. And we shared our stories. I mean, we sat there for three hours wow. and just connected. And you and never met Had never met. Wow. And I was like, man, I love your style. I love your take on this. I know you're getting hit up by every actress, and I'm so excited for (laughs) you. But can you just film me doing a couple scenes? And if you don't like what I have in mind, no hard feelings. She was like, great. (laughs) Came to my apartment. She filmed a couple scenes. We were so in sync. I was blown away by her, even in that setting. She just had great notes. Um, So then she gave me the role. I was really thrilled. And... (laughs) Then I asked if I could be a producer. And, uh, you know, to her credit, she took me seriously. It wasn't like, sure, actor, you can be a producer and we'll just never let you know what's going on. She immediately said, great, you're a producer? Great. Okay, so on, you know, our to-do list is, like, locations, casting, let's get this together, let's find the money. And so I got this really incredible and very fast... Uh, intense education in indie filmmaking and the production of a film that is not a very commercial one. And you enjoyed the process. I loved it. Yeah. I, I really enjoy fighting for something I believe in and I really feel very effective if I have that passion. If I don't truly believe in something and have that passion, I'm not good at selling it. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I could walk into any room right. and talk about this incredible filmmaker and her vision and I could do so without any hesitation. And I think, although it's difficult to get a film financed and produced, 
the people who have that money are looking for passion mm-hmm. because where there's passion, there's hard work. And really, they want to invest in people who are going to work as hard as possible to bring a film to its, to its best version of itself. But didn't it sort of bother you that it was such a process when you have a yes. established actress, people know, people like a, yes, a first-time filmmaker, but somebody who obviously knows what a veteran. she's doing. Absolutely. And do you think it was a gender issue? Do they have a harder time giving women money? Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. And I was... I didn't go into it with that pessimism. Mm-hmm. I went in with only um, optimism and excitement. Mm-hmm. But when we kept getting responses that the film was just too risky and that, um, you know, that, that, that they felt that the material was too challenging and they would offer us pennies to make this film. And I said, but you can invest in a filmmaker. If you give her the tools she needs, mm-hmm. you're going to get something really special. But she can't do that. F- with cardboard, she needs a camera. You got to pay for this stuff, yeah. and people just didn't see that value. And I honestly think that there exists, even if it is subconscious mm-hmm. on many levels, a stigma against women as directors. The assumption is that they will not work as hard, or that they will not um, be as easy to control. Mm-hmm. I think it's truly the latter. I think there is an assumption that men, young male filmmakers, are easily manipulated and can be, you know, abused into following whatever the financier or the studio, you know, wants to happen. And I, I, I know that's changing. I know there's a lot of goodwill behind this movement, but I think it is, unfortunately, it comes from institutionalized sexism. Yeah. And it's, it's not something that's just going to change because we say we really care about female filmmakers. It takes like a, a real kind of work on behalf of society. We need to turn inward and say like, why do we make these assumptions about women? And also a lot of times changes, change happens only when it's sort of uh, forced on people. And I yeah. think that what's happening now, I wonder what your take is on this, that I think it's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, I forget what mm-hmm. it is that, but they've mm-hmm. now come into Hollywood and started interviewing female filmmakers mm-hmm. and people at the studios to try to figure out what exactly is going on and is it does it reach the level of kind of coordinated uh, gender discrimination? Sure. And if if as I think is likely they conclude that it does, then there there's going to be some force change here. Absolutely, that and the ACLU yeah, making right. it a priority and and bringing that case. I think that it has to be a combination of. Uh, things like that, making people people feel like their feet are being put Mm -hmm, to the fire. mm -hmm. This is an issue they need to prioritize. And it also has to come from, you know, the audience demanding, supporting these films and showing the studios and the financiers, you know, this is something we actually want. Um, It seems so clear to us because we think, wow, I mean, the biggest grossing films in the last couple of years have had like female protagonists. And yet... When it comes to female directors, I mean, there's still a long way to go with female protagonists mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we made up like 20% of protagonists in films in the last year. But for directors, the battle is even further behind. There needs to be a real shift in the way we invest in films directed by women. And a lot of that comes from, you know, you being familiar with the independent film world and system, mm-hmm. comes from um, foreign sales. Yeah. it. That's why... It's a, it's a shift that needs to happen in society, not just in the industry. But a lot of these rules that people have thought were 
held true are being disproven, disproved every every day. I mean, we've had this year straight out of Compton has made ton of, a ton of money I abroad. I love that movie so and, much. You know, wasn't it great? And and what I was talking to F. Gary Gray, and he was just laughing at the idea that it's always been the kind of the, taken as the rule that black films don't travel. That <laughs> was internationally. Right, They're absolutely. Not play. You hear that all the time. And it's just not the case. Not the if case. If you give people something that, you know, is exactly. quality. Yeah, you know, being a, a producer on this film, I really got an education in how actors are valued by foreign sales companies. Yeah. So, you know, that's what the financiers are, are, are struggling with is how can they create a cast that they can then sell so on an international right. stage. And I think it's so funny to see actors next to their value and realize, you know, it, Steven Seagal can right, get your movie made. Right. It's not I suggest writing an independent film for Steven Seagal <laughs> because Seagal. you will get your money. Right, right. Um, but, it, you know, I was shocked, even though we had this incredible cast in Meadowland. I mean, we... I will say that it's very difficult to get a female-driven film together without the male lead in place. Right. And we kept hearing, you know, once we have the guy, it'll come together. And it, I had heard a story, uh, I haven't heard it straight from the horse's mouth, but I did hear a story that uh, when they were making Still Alice, Julianne Moore said, don't even bother trying to get money until you get the male lead. Really? And that's Julianne Moore. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. So, you know, we were very lucky to get Luke Wilson, Luke who had Wilson. been Reed's first choice. She would worked guess, with him yeah, on Skeleton, Skeleton Twins, yeah. and he's so phenomenal in that movie, and she knew she wanted him for this role. But we had to go through that rigmarole of, will all these top, top, top-tier actors consider this role? And I have to say, their agents, I don't really think it was them, their agents often came back to us saying, there's not enough there for him. It's really Olivia's movie. Well, yeah. And I thought, well, so what? Right. How many times have we <laughs> taken on roles that are actually the guy's movie, right. whatever that means, but we've been in, you know, valuable parts of these stories. Mm-hmm. When did it become about, you can only take on the role if it's yours. Right. So I think that's an agent problem. Um, but I, I think in the end, we ended up, with the producers who believed in the film, the money we needed to make it, the cast we could only dream of. Right. And I, I think that's the, the experience of a lot of independent filmmakers is you go through this incredibly difficult, painful process of fighting for your movie and tearing it apart and putting it back together. And in the end, if you stay true to the basic core of your vision, you'll end up with the film you want. And despite the bare bones budget, the just 22 day yeah. shoot, I think, yeah. um, to the extent that, and this may have been not a money issue, but because she wanted to, I don't know, but Reed herself yeah. operating the camera. Yes, that was extraordinary. It's I something mean, that is just not done. I mean, right. it's like her and Soderbergh. Right, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, so despite all that and the very tough subject matter, could the shoot itself have been enjoyable for you? It was. Yeah. Because I, I felt such enormous pride every day that we had made it happen. You know, I was so excited. There we were in our first location in this school in Brooklyn, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that we were finally there and we could finally work on these scenes in front of the camera. Yeah. And I was so grateful for everyone who came on board. I mean, we had people like Elizabeth Moss coming in for two days, mm-hmm. and I just you know, was so overwhelmed with gratitude that we had someone of her caliber taking on this role. And 
she did it because she believed in Reed and she believed in our little film. Same thing with, with all our cast. Mm-hmm. Giovanni Ribisi is phenomenal right. in this film. Leguizamo. Leguizamo. Yeah. So I walked around every day just buzzing with gratitude. And I think that allowed me to dig my, my heels into my role even more because I felt such support from this project and this cast and this crew that I could go to the challenging emotional places that I needed to go to because there was just such good energy around the whole thing, not to sound, you know. No, it's... It, it, it just really, it, it just had a great vibe and it allowed everyone to focus and to relax and to, um, you know, chew on this material a bit. But I think also, you know, Reed is a very funny, cool woman and I think her attitude every day on set allowed us to have a bit of levity you know we didn't take ourselves too seriously we knew we were making a film about grief and that's obviously you know inherently dramatic but the vibe on set just was very low-key just people doing it for free just to be a part of something special one thing i neglected to mention i think we have to put it out there is that because this, this almost got away from you, this whole yes. project. And um, so I will ask you to explain why and if you think yeah. that the My reason... My kid almost ruined it for me. Your kid almost ruined it. <laughs> and did, did it... Uh, so so you became pregnant. Yes. Right before this was supposed to go into action. I like how you say I became pregnant. You, you were, I feel you, like the Virgin Mary. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was... It was, you know, putting together a film, you never know when you're actually going to go. And that right. schedule keeps kind of slipping around right. the year. And... I was so excited about Madeline, I couldn't wait. Uh, and we kind of had a vague idea. We had an actor we, we thought we might be able to hire and, and a schedule that was very vague and it kind of got pushed. And then suddenly there I was pregnant, which I was so thrilled right. about. But I thought, oh my God, we had this tentative start date and I can't do it. I thought, can, can this role be done pregnant? It's too dark. Yeah. Like we can't she can't have lost a child and be grieving and be very pregnant. And how will I produce and star? I don't know how I could do it. You know, maybe, maybe I could have pulled it off. I don't know. But I called Reed and I said, I, I have to tell you something. And she, she's like, what? Great. What? You know, she was so excited to move ahead. Here was this directorial debut. Right. You know, I thought I don't want to rob her of this, of this experience, this opportunity. And I said, I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. And she said, oh my God, that's great. That's awesome. That's the perfect preparation for this role. You couldn't have done better research. And she agreed to hold the film. And I mean, that's kind of staggering. That's very nice. She could have. I said, listen, I will stay on as producer. We can hire another actress. We can keep this start date. Let's do it. And she said, no, 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 no. No one else is Sarah. It can't be done. That's great. So that was enormous personal sacrifice on her end. Um, but a and vote it, of confidence. I mean, yeah. What, what more could you? Now, I think it was at that point that we became real partners. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like I know this is? I'm sure you've had this a million times, but like, would you have played the part differently had you done it before you were pregnant? Sure. Yeah. I think so. I I think any actor can put themselves in someone else's shoes, and I you know I think a man could play a woman who lost a child. I believe everyone's able to shift their shape, but I was. I was given insight into the power of a mother's love that drove this character for me, and it allowed me to truly grasp the, the depth of, of, of loss that she felt. And, you know, when I fell in love with the script as a person who wasn't a parent, I thought I 
had a handle on that. It just got so much deeper once I felt that, that for myself, mm-hmm. once I felt you know, the love for my son, I thought, oh my God, now I have insight into how brave this woman is and how strong she is that she's continuing to survive despite this loss. And it allowed me to understand why she has to believe he's alive. Um, whereas before I thought, okay, she's lost the plot a bit. She's spinning out. She's unhinged. She's off her meds. So she thinks he's alive. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, no, no, that's survival. Yeah. You can't go on if you know he's gone. Uh, so yeah, I think it definitely it had an effect. But you know, Luke it does not have any kids, and Luke Wilson, mm-hmm. and he was so phenomenal yeah, in that role. Really. He has one scene where he's talking about, he's in a group, group therapy oh, yeah. scene, and he's talking about his child and his memory of his child, and it destroys me yeah. every time, and I've seen it like 49 times. <laughs> so oh, actors are capable of putting themselves in in such, you know, in, in different places. I think it's kind of incredible. And yet you, you do feel lucky when you can feel it for yourself. Yeah. It, 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 um, it's like, it's this, it's this, it's this fun opportunity to use your real life through in your art and to channel all these intense feelings you have about your life into your art. There's so much catharsis involved. It's when acting becomes therapy, really. Wow. Well, last question is just now as people are beginning to discover this movie as a producer, as an actor, what is it that you hope they will take away from it? And also, what is the next phase? We've talked about so many different things. It seems like there's been, you could literally break it into chapters of your your work. Where do you see this going next? Well, I want to produce again. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that process, so I'm, I'm putting together another project. I want to direct, so I have options and material ah, that I'm going great. to develop and yeah. direct. I'm really excited. Um, and I'm producing some stuff I'm not yeah. in as well, uh, a show for Comedy Central I'm excited about. And I'm on this show, Vinyl, nice. that it's for HBO, and that by a struck of incredible good fortune, uh, Reed is the DP for it. So and this is Scorsese, Scorsese and Terrence Winter. And, and Terrence Winter and Mick Jagger. Jesus. Our, our producers, and it's wow. uh, starring Bobby Cannavale, who is incredible, and an amazing cast. Um, and it's about a record label in 1973 in New York City. Who do you play in the show? I play a woman named Devin Finestra, who is the wife of Bobby's character, and she's this kind of uh, ex-factory girl, frustrated artist who is, when we meet her, has become dissatisfied with life and is um, blowing it all up and starting over. So a lot of fun. But it's so it's funny because as we kind of review my history, (laughs) it's like here I am again going back to TV. And yet TV has changed. It's like I've been able to be witness, to bear witness to this shift in in the way material is is being distributed. And I just feel really lucky. I feel lucky that I did TV before so I can truly appreciate how what TV coming. is now. <laughs> like, oh, this is great, guys. Right, right. You should have been around right. in the early 2000s. Uh, I have my war stories. Well, thank you so much for this and congratulations. Thank you. It was really great. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.